The Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk. Now, joining me in studio is our cracking newspaper panel. We have Cara Gustenberg, Assistant Professor in Landscape Studies uh, and Environmental Policy at UCD, and of course, uh, broadcast with me every week on the hard shoulder uh, and did podcasts here on News Talk, basically, uh, Miss or Ms. Green uh, of Ireland. Larry Bass, uh, the uh, commercial genius, CEO of Shinawill, and I'm sure founder, and of course, Dancing with the Stars is his latest incarnation. And last but by no means least, barrister and presenter of the Fifth Court, Ireland's sexiest legal podcast specialising in employment law and judicial review, Peter Leonard. Before I come to the panel, let me just flick through this morning's front pages for you, starting with the Sunday Independent. Their lead is taken from the latest Sunday Independent Ireland Thinks poll. What does it show? The scores on the doors. Sinn Féin having dropped down from about 34% to the high 20s late last year are back up to 30% up too. Fine Gael fairly and Fianna Fáil fairly stable, 20% and 17% uh, respectively. The moving feature here are independence and others plus three. And the really significant thing about that is it's not in Tipperary or Kerry, it's actually in Dublin that that's happening. And therefore their headline is Immigration Fuels Surge in Support for Independent Candidates. Dermot Bannon is photographed all over the place, so his series Room to Improve must be back. Poignant uh, story on the front of the Sunday Times, which is an interview with Raymond Murphy. Um, You'll recall the uh, tragic circumstances of the murder of Ashling Murphy. Well, it'll be two years this week that that horrific incident took place on the canal uh, outside Tullamore. And it's an interview how he visits the grave every day. And of course, we've had the Puskas uh, conviction. Uh, They also have a story that's the lead uh, lead on the Mail on Sunday special unit to monitor uh, immigration protesters. And that's the angle that the uh, Irish Mail on Sunday goes with. Somebody is going to die. Warren Gardee and Jim O'Callaghan, Fianna Fáil, spokesperson of justice, uh, basically saying that after the events in, in Ringsend uh, and in Galway and in Tipperary, that actually special monitoring is taking place. But people saying, because uh, last night there were scenes in Ballinrobe, which was to house 50 international protection applicants, which may now not have been going ahead. Uh, that was all on social media last night. And finally, the Business Post. Uh, they have a big interview between Dan Murray, who used to work me, with me on The Tonight Show back in God's own time. Uh, Mary Lou MacDonald saying Stormont unlikely to remain in a United Ireland. And there's also a suggestion that her uh, call that was ridiculed for houses in Dublin to be 300 grand, actually it played well uh, with her electorate, which are the under 40s. But their lead story is a significant one. Strikes loom as Donoghue losing control with the pay deal, no pay deal in sight. So the last pay, pay deal, called Building Momentum or whatever, expired at, on, on New Year's Eve. And there is no deal now uh, to take it over. And the big unions, Forza and SIP2, are as soon as this Thursday uh, going to ballot on maybe strike action. Could this be a year of industrial strife? Uh, uh, Pascal Donoghue is saying he won't be spooked into action. Um, So, 
let's 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 go around the the table here in terms of this migration story. Well, well sorry, before I come to that, uh, Dancing with the Stars is on six thirty tonight. You have a cracking uh, set of people people that I even know: Rory <laughs> Cowan of of uh, Mrs Brown's Boys, Davy Russell, the retired jockey, Rosanna Davis, Eileen Dunn has been taken out of the, another skeleton Indeed. out of the cupboard. Uh, what, what have you got for us? What can we expect? Look, it's a great lineup, Ivan. I think um, every year we are always astounded at the amount of interest we have from people who want to take part in the show. Um, the great news is there's thousands and thousands of people in Ireland who could qualify to be on the cast of Dancing with the Stars. We only need 11. And I think this year um, we've got a, a very diverse range of characters and people and there's nearly uh, one for everyone in the audience out there. And it's all tonight, half six on RT1. Now, you need to be a bit of a hottie to win, like uh, old people like Des Cahill and so on. So the favourites I'm looking at, Bold Sports, David De- Whelan... Des look- and Marty got to the semi-final, Ivan. Yeah, but they lost, you know what I mean? You don't get paid on them, because <laughs> I think like a punter. David Whelan, Laura Fox and Miriam Mullins are the co-favourites. What can you say about any of those? Well, Miriam Mullins is a TikTok sensation. Um, uh, so certainly there's a cohort of people who know Miriam probably more than know you, Ivan. Yeah. You know, that's the new world we're living in. Um, then David is the lead singer of Wild Youth who went to represent Ireland in Eurovision did really well the band did but not with David he was injured and couldn't make it so he's uh, shown his uh, dancing prowess on this show um, and Laura Fox is when, when, the, when, when is the ultimate final what date is it? St. Patrick's Day oh we'll yeah, endure so we'll, this we'll for have weeks a, we have big surprises for the final um, it'll be very green very Irish on a more sombre note, uh, a friend of mine passed away yesterday uh, who, who may not be known to a lot of people, but he was an iconic figure uh, in terms of, of, of renewable electricity. I refer to the sad passing of Eddie O'Connor. In the 1990s, when I was in cabinet, he was the CEO of Bordnemona, which were Pete, and he introduced the first wind farm in Ballacorrick and then went on to found electricity, mainstream, and he has another incarnation. A very sad news. Super, uh, incredible. A huge loss to the renewable energy sector and I think for, for the climate movement in general. I had the pleasure of, of meeting Eddie last year when he launched his book Supergrid Super Solutions with Kevin O'Sullivan and, uh, and worked with him a little bit on the launch of that book. And what a visionary, what an incredible climate communicator. If you think about it, he was... He was working in what was one of our dirtiest sectors in Bordnemona. And when it was brought to his attention what the impact of burning peat was on climate, he pivoted right away and set up this wind farm uh, on Bordnemona property. And then when he left Bordnemona, he was the first to set up offshore wind in Ireland. So for a brief moment in time, Ireland was actually Europe's leader in offshore wind because of Eddie's work. Uh, and his latest incarnation, uh, Supernode, which which was the idea that he was thinking ahead that if we move to this fully renewable energy system in Europe, where we have a lot more intermittency when the sun isn't shining or the wind isn't blowing, we have to get our energy from other parts of Europe. We will need a much more advanced grid. We can't. We don't have enough copper in the world to do this. And and that's what Eddie was working on. And, and the hope is that his family and that the good people at Supernode will continue his work because it's a huge loss to the sector. Indeed. And and Peter Leonard, you knew Eddie. Yes, true. A family connection, Ivan. I met Eddie many times over the years, and he was a 
wonderfully warm person. I mean, he was the ultimate Renaissance man. I mean, he had a wonderful career. He started over and look at the innovation and vision that the man had. Uh, it's desperately sad news. And on a personal level, if I could pass on my sympathies to his wife, Hildegard, who I know well, and to his daughter, Leslie, and son, Robert, uh, he's a huge loss. He's a huge loss to Ireland, obviously to his family. It's, 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 it's very, very sad. A genuinely iconic figure uh, in, in the world of energy. My newspaper panel again is Cara Augustenberg of UCD, Larry Bass of Shinnawill and Peter Leonard, Bassiter, uh, uh, barrister and presenter of the legal podcast. So what we have this morning is a sign that the polls are reflecting a, a, a sentiment amongst voters uh, that they feel enough is enough when it comes to migration. Peter. Yeah, um, the, the the polls today, I suppose there's not a lot of news in terms of the political party support. I mean, 30% for Sinn Féin, 20% for Fine Gael, 17 for Fianna Fáil. So that's pretty standard at the moment. But I suppose the standout issue, or is it a standout issue? Maybe that's something we need to debate, Ivan, uh, is the issue of immigration. Now, we know we had the horror on the streets in Dublin in November. We know that immigration is a big issue. We have had hotels burned out. We had an issue at Ballad Robe last night. Uh, so it is sort of capturing the public imagination. But but I was thinking about it in terms of 25%. Um, it, it's, it's a significant figure. But 25% of people saying that's their biggest issue. Biggest issue. After yes. housing and health. But if you look at something, like something that occurred to me, maybe I'm completely wrong mm. in relation to this, but if you remember the last presidential election, completely different uh, election, it was a non-issue election, personality type election. But the Peter Casey candidacy, uh, he managed to get about 25% of the electorate and on a lot of people thought on the basis of negative comments about the travelling community, for example. So, there, there, you know, I mean, it's not related, it's slightly different, but there's always going to be a sentiment out there where people are kind of discontent about people coming in, etc. Yes, it's reflected in the fact that there is elements of social upheaval out, out throughout the country in but, terms but, but, of but, but, but places being burned out, etc. But, 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 but Peter, I, I heard all this in 2023 in Italy, and in the Netherlands, and they said, yeah, no, this is kind of just the far right, and it's a, an eccentric maverick group, and all those kind of languages. And yet it changed the government there. You know what I mean? Like, the way people get heard on this issue is in the ballot box. And I, I, I sense when the, when the boxes are opened in the first week of June, this issue of open borders is going to be a huge one. You think so? Okay. Well, I mean, we're seeing it, I suppose, maybe in local elections that people, it, there, is, there is a populism to it. Um, there is a suggestion that Sinn Féin has changed their tune in relation to it and picking up on, on public sentiment. Yeah, it's a factor. It is a factor. Um, is it going to be the definitive factor? It is in the opinion poll at the moment, 25%, I accept, and they say that's their primary issue. Uh, when it comes to the election proper, is it going to be big? Is, you know, at the end of the day, housing, the cost of living crisis, uh, you know, industrial, potential industrial unrest. We, we see that there's some discontent amongst the trade unions at the moment in society. Yes, immigration is an issue. I tend to think that this reference to the far right is overstated in my own view. I mean, it's, it, they're, they're, you know, we had that horrible incident on the streets of Dublin. We had that incident when the Doyle reopened, when we had these people gathered outside, you know, a noose was brought out. I mean, it was, it was all attention grabbing. But only about 300 people turned mm. up. You know, that kind of visceral behaviour. Visceral behaviour, yeah. Behavior. yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, there is sentiment, I accept yeah. that, and, and it would be wrong to deny that, mm. and, you know, not to acknowledge see, that it see, exists out there. But how big is it? Well, the whole, the whole Dublin riots Larry was fuelled by social media. 
and and media have to put their hands up here and um, uh, all media. Uh, we're here discussing it today. Newspapers all piling in, all jumping on a, a story and building up something that's you know it's not there if they don't talk about it. Um, you know, well, that sounds like uh, you know nothing to see here, sweeping under the carpet. I mean, like surely that's the word because a lot of people feel. And I, I, you know, I, I, I cite the case of Killarney over and over again. Killarney is a very docile tourism centre. They have four and a half thousand Ukrainians and seven hundred international provision. And and late last year there was a silent protest. There was no burning of anything, and people just said, for our school system, for our GP system, mm. we are just not able to cope anymore. I think we have to be careful, and I think we the way we um, apply services and and what you know make sure that there is a proper uh, place for people to go. Uh, all has to be part of, uh, if you're going to have a policy of open borders, if you're going to have a policy of being the land of the 100,000 welcomes in a country where we've benefited from our people going around the world and um, being welcomed around the world and sending re- returns back. We're now a country that's a net um, contributor to the EU and we need to do our part and we need to invest in the services needed to accommodate people who are coming here and be a welcoming state. Um, but, see, but we need I to be careful. To people, we need to do it with because planning. Because you see the front page that story there with Ashling. You know, if you go into a pub, people have talked about the Puskas case, talk about the Polanyi case in Sligo of, of two people beheaded and so on and say, these, these aren't Irish people. What do you say to those? You know, I mean, unfortunately, there's, there's, good, there's the good and bad people in, in all society. And uh, I think you do have to be uh, aware of things and you do have to vet people as well. But that doesn't mean we shut down and we close our borders and we, we just turn our back or we just turn around and say we, we, we are a country that is now um, closed and we don't want anybody else in. I think we need, need to mature thinking a little and, and be a country that is a bit more welcoming and, and true to what we used to be known as, well, a friendly co- place. Cara... Car- the government, in terms of say as I do or say as I say, in so far as cut the weekly payment to Ukrainians from 330 to 80 euros a week, said the turnaround after 90 days. Do you think uh, that attitudes maybe are changing within the permanent government? I think Pat Leahy's analysis in the Irish Times this weekend said, you know, this this strategy of we're just going to try and make it uncomfortable for people to come in is, is not effective. And, and Malcolm Byrne, the senator, the Fianna Fáil senator, said in the Mail on Sunday today that when you have a vacuum of information, that vacuum is filled by bad actors. And I think that's exactly what's happening here. We are we are to a very passive attitude from politicians and also from the media in terms of really talking about the, the key issues here. And that's being filled with misinformation and 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 hatred and, and all of these kind of negative things that we're seeing. But really, we desperately need workers to fill these kind of deficits in the health service, in education. In hospitality. So in Larry tech, is yeah. right. We absolutely, we can't afford to close our doors to people coming into the country because we need to fill these jobs. So so I think there's a, a lack of clear communication about how important bringing more skilled workers into the country is. Yeah, but, but uh, what, what people would say to you, look, uh, the Department of Enterprise and Employment have already approved 31,000 work permits and we cannot, we're at full employment, we cannot function in some of these sectors. But people aren't talking about that. Mm-hmm. They're talking about what is the vetting of, of often males? Like, the, and I don't know the difference between truth yeah, and rumour here. Exactly. But the word in Ballinrobe was, and I know Ballinrobe well. Yeah. It's a very, I uh, holiday race there. course. Uh, yeah, there is a beautiful race course there indeed. And it's right on, on, on Loch Mask. Uh, like, uh, the, the video I saw was that there were 50 males 
rep, rep, allegedly being put into place right beside a crash and so on. And you can you see where that's all. Yeah, heading. but look at where you're getting your information because if you actually look for the numbers, we have about 180 refugee centres across the country. Uh, County Wicklow is in the top two or three of those with 10 centres. I live right next to one. No issues. If you look at them by occupancy rate, in a lot of cases, a majority of the people occupying these centres are children. So, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there and there's very little real hard facts and real numbers to, to get to the bottom of these issues and, and inform people. I think the Ireland Thinks poll, which I know we'll get to, you yeah. know, it, it brought up some, something interesting, which is that nearly 70% of the people surveyed were very critical of the arson attack. So to me, it shows that people are concerned. They do think this is inappropriate behavior. Let's deal with real information instead of misinformation. And there's an onus on the media oh, to, and, to be providing and We need that. leadership. I mean, Ivan, we have a crisis of housing. In Ireland, um, it's it's been there for many, many years, back to your time in government, um, and it's just got bigger and better. We need people to build those houses. We're not going to, you know, manage them out of thin air. We should be welcoming people in with skills. We should be, you know, as a policy, as a nation, looking to attract in people who come in and build Ireland. Um, and maybe find some political leadership. And political leadership that can actually have some positive things to say about attracting people to come here and work here. And there's nothing wrong with people coming and working in a, in a location. And in most places, Irish uh, emigres uh, who in the building construction game, many of them would have gone to Germany in the 1980s and, and had to live in conditions on site where they're building Germany. Um, let's just focus then on this Ireland Thinks a poll uh, there's deep analysis from Jody Corcoran and others. Just to give you a little bit of a review of it, most popular leader, uh, Micheál Martin, 44% down two. His party is also down two at 17%. Uh, Leo is 38% minus two, and they're marginally down to 20%. Uh, the fragmentation of the left. We'll be speaking to Ivana Bacek later about, because uh, Shane Ross writes a piece about a merger between the Sock Dems uh, and uh, the Labour Party. Labour Party down one at three. Uh, Green Party, uh, Cara, no change at three. Solidarity, People Before Profit, three. And the Sock Dems, uh, five. Uh, but of course, there to cannibalise all of that is Sinn Féin. Is this going to be the year, Peter, of Mary Lou MacDonald? Our first ever woman, Taoiseach, uh, they, they, they start with the local elections. In 2019, they only got 9% of the yes. vote. They lost 80 council seats and ended up with 78. Even on 27%, not 30%, they will go to 250 councillors. They'd be the largest party. That'll build some momentum for her if that happens. Absolutely. On the basis of their result in the last local elections and European elections where they lost two MEPs. Lynn Boylan should win in Dublin. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, they're likely to have a good election. How good? They're going to have a very good election. I mean, the polls don't lie that much. I mean, they mightn't always be 100% accurate, uh, Ivan, but I mean, 30%. And they've been, they've been on that for a long period of time. So there's huge support for Sinn Féin out there. They're going to come back in whatever election, if we have a general election later this year, and I think we might have, um, I think they're going to come back as the largest party and substantially as the largest party. Will they have enough? To, they won't have an overall majority. Yeah, I reckon somewhere between have... 58 and 72. The okay. magic figure so is 88. 88. Yeah, yeah, or 174 doll, a large doll. Yes, OK. So 72, that means they need a substantial partner. If you look at maybe a few independents that might come on board, but you'll need a political party to go in with them. We know, we know that if you go in with a substantial party and you're a smaller party, it's 
it's a disaster. If someone like Fianna Fáil goes in with them, and I notice that's one of the combinations, mm. 40% of the population are saying, or 40% of those polled, sorry, not the population, mm. uh, are saying maybe a Fianna Fáil, a Sinn Féin coalition might be their preferred option. I mean, that's a very risky strategy for Fianna Fáil. And I think Micheál Martin, as leader of Fianna Fáil, has very much set his 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 case against that. So, um, so uh, who is their potential partner in government? I think that's a question. Yeah, um, a shift to the left. I mean, if you look at Sinn Féin's alternative budgets, if you're over 100 grand as an individual, you'd lose just some of your tax rates. But if you're over 140 grand, you will pay a surtax of a cons- consolidation or solidarity tax, it is, of 3%. Uh, capital taxes would all go up uh, significantly, 33 to 40%. Uh, and do you think that some of the things we take for granted, because there's a report saying from the OECD that corporation tax, which has been the saviour, over mm. a decade has gone from $4 billion to $24 billion, that, that that golden goose might be fluttering? Well, we're talking about immigration we were talking about a moment ago. You know, if those sort of level of taxes on the higher earners in Ireland uh, do come to pass, you'll be talking about a story of people flying, fleeing Ireland and leaving here. You know, people who have got the capital worth to uh, decide to go and live and earn where they can actually hang on to some of the hard-earned income that they've done, that their particular services bring. Do you think there could be a flight of capital if Sinn Féin were leading the next government? Not only a flight of capital, but also the people who uh, work in the tech companies who uh, deliver the high corporate taxes. If you're, you know, taxed to the hilt, how are we going to... uh, tracked in the very high earners in the sector that is providing the highest possible uh, corporation tax that the state's ever known. And in the circles you move, in business circles, is there an awareness that the country could lurch to the left? Not just uh, with Sinn Féin, but... Nothing wrong with, uh, you know, a left-led government. We've had, you know, very strong left-led governments in the past. I remember the spring tide um, and the country had a, you know, a good performance under that government. But I think Sinn Féin's policy is slightly left of centre of most economic um, realism. Cara, you're synonymous with the climate change agenda. You're a member of the Climate Change Advisory Council and and you lecture and that's your day job as well as everything else. And you were a former candidate for the Green Party back in... Yeah, not a member of the Green Party. No, I get that. (laughs) But back in 2014, was it? You you stood for the Green Party. Uh, uh, So... What's not jumping out from this, you know, migration is jumping out of it, inequality is jumping out, housing is jumping out of it. Sustainability isn't. Well, I'm always watching the Ireland Thinks poll because they do ask people what their top issues are and climate change has consistently over the last few years come out in the top five issues uh, in that poll. Uh, it's interesting now. They've Since the, the December uh, fire in Ross Lake House and everything, they've now added these other categories that include immigration and far right and government corruption. And so even though people's uh, concern for climate change is now up, it's now 9% of the people they surveyed have said that climate change is in their top issues. Uh, it's now cat number eight in terms of the ranking because of these additional issues added. So that's And the Green Party themselves worrying. are struggling? Yeah, I mean, what I find interesting... the Green Most Party, unpopular leader is yeah, Eamon, yeah, Eamon Ryan? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think Eamon cares too much about his popularity. I think he Maybe just wa- wants to get stuff done, which I, which I support. But um, yeah, Green Party's holding at 3%. What I think is really interesting is that means that there are 6% of voters who prioritize climate change, who are floating voters looking for a political party that is going to prove that they have the most ambitious climate but policy. But surely the so reality huge is... huge opportunity for the other parties the, there. The reality is, even if there was no Green Party, 
Europe is driving this agenda. And I think, you know, post-Brexit, where Euroscepticism is dead, after the Ukraine, where we're looking Mm -hmm. for Europe to provide security for us. And when you go to Brussels, their top issue is to be the world leader in the Green Agenda, Sustainability Finance Directive, yeah. a Sustainable uh, Corporate Reporting Directive, yeah. uh, d- buildings, mm-hmm. uh, you know, efficiency. Yeah. Uh, all these directives are going to be part of national law very soon. Yeah, and what's been so refreshing actually in the last few years is that for the first time Ireland is actually ahead of the EU policy in this. So we have the most ambitious uh, clean air regulations in the world now, thanks to this current government. Uh, we are we are ahead in terms of our our views on circular economy and waste. We are we are creating. But is so that, this is, is really that not window dressing? In so far as eight hundred and fifty thousand EVs, electric vehicles by twenty thirty, <laughs> a, a cut in methane by twenty five percent. You know, three percent of buildings retrofitted. None of these yeah. targets are going to be met. I think some of them will. I think we'll find, particularly at the end of this year, I think we will start to see that emissions curve dropping. Uh, We probably won't meet this carbon budget, but perhaps the next one. But I think we are going to see big changes in the next couple of years as a result of the work that's put in on the ground in the last few years. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll have a further discussion about uh, elements that are not necessarily on the front pages with our panel of Cara, Gustenberg, Larry Bass and Peter Leonard. Welcome back to the Anton Savage Show. Uh, he will be back next weekend, Saturday and Sunday, but Ivan Yates filling in today. And it's a great pleasure to lighten the mood, to find out what are the New Year's best resolutions from the inimitable comedian Alison Spittle. Good morning, Alison. Good morning, Ivan. How are you getting on? I'm getting oh, on oh, grand oh, and all the better for talking to you. Now, a little birdie told me, Yes. that on Christmas Day you went through four cheese plates. Is this true? Well, no, no. Yes, yes, it is. And I think that's the reason why people want to change in January. Of course, you're going to want to change if you go through like four cheese plates. Do I regret them? No, maybe not. But I think maybe t- now's the time to change. And what did you wash them down with? Pork. Oh, nothing only the best. And, oh, and, come here. Yeah. I was eating like Henry VIII. <laughs> I was going to give myself some medieval disease, so I was, the way I was going at Christmas. And tell me, uh, what, what what New Year's resolutions uh, have you made? Are you going to join a gym? Am I gonna, no, they're the most expensive now. You see, they, I, I think that New Year's, New Year's resolutions, like, like Valentine's Day, like even, even, God forbid, Mother's Day, it, it, it turned in from something uh, nice into a capitalist quiz, if I'm honest with you. I don't know, that's hard to say on news talk. But, like, to be honest with you, like, uh, we, 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 it's just an excuse for companies to sell stuff to us. Like, um, I, was, I was Christmas shopping for the turkey. I always go Christmas Eve because I love uh, a bit of danger in my life, you know, to do the Christmas shopping on Christmas Eve. And uh, I saw that they were already putting up posters for, you know, the January changes where they're going to sell dumbbells instead of turkey crowns. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't change myself uh, in January. I go for February. Do you know what I mean? I just like to go against the crowd. All right. And, and, and in terms of dry January, how would you feel about mm. that? Is that a step I, too far? No. I, to be honest with you, like, why, look, I, I think I, I, I have, uh, what do I have? 
my relationship with alcohol is is like I'm normally dry all year, but January makes me want to drink. So I think, look, with the bad weather and everything like that, people shouldn't do dry January. Maybe do dry May. What's going on in May? You're grand. The sun is out. You can deal with it then. But dry January, it's a step too far. Now, I was I was talking to a proper uh, expert on this and they said only 4% of New Year's resolutions are sustained beyond the third week of January. What advice would you give, you know, as a national treasurer yourself, what advice would you give to people who find that they can't sustain their resolutions and beat up on themselves? What advice would I, Alison Spittle, give to people about not giving in to their compulsions? Mm, I'm unsure, to be honest. Maybe, look, I look at I look at the year. You see, it's hard. Everyone puts a lot of pressure on themselves in January to make changes. The same as myself, right? If I wake up in the morning and I haven't eaten porridge, well, then I think, well, the day is gone. I might as well just do not. Do you know what I mean? And then um, you just, people put too much pressure on themselves in January. January is a horrible month. How about instead of dry January or New Year's resolutions, let's just get through January any way we can. Like, I think that would be the perfect way to do it. Can't say fairer than that. Always a pleasure to talk to comedian Alison Spittle, who will be in the Everyman doing a gig in January. Check it out on the website. Uh, We wish you a very happy New Year, Alison. Thank you, Ivan. Best of luck. Bye. Our newspaper panel are staying with me, Cara Gustenberg, Larry Bass and Peter Leonard. Uh, Larry, what's the story about Boeing airplanes and uh, bits of them falling out? Yeah, I think uh, Boeing have had a bad run of luck on their latest aircraft, uh, 737 MAX. There were a couple of uh, major disasters a couple of years back, but the latest one now is a, it looked like a door flew off after a plane took off from Portland in the US. Uh, Thankfully, they were able to return to the airport and land safely without any further... Tell me, when, it, in, in, when you're 33,000 feet up... They didn't quite... I think there were about 16,000. OK, and when a plane report. comes off, does it not suck everyone out like on the movies? If you're higher up, I think they would have had a, a, a more difficult time. But I think the fact that they were still um, climbing, um, they managed to turn it around and... And was this an old plane or a new plane? Or? This, is, this is a new Boeing 737 MAX... And what is it? So they've grounded all of these, have they? The, um, the US Civil Aviation Authority? Certainly there's going to be an investigation into that particular model of it. Um, the UK Civil Aviation Authority this morning said that any air, airline flying those aircraft will have to submit to um, checks on all their aircraft before entering UK airspace. So I think there's uh, certainly going to be an issue for air travel. Um, that anyone flying these model of planes are going to have to do a, a once-over. Right. Um, I don't fly. I have a phobia about it. But you fly a lot, Cara. <laughs> you you went to Egypt to there the other day, didn't you? No? Not the other day. <laughs> Thanks, Ivan. Uh, I'm delighted you would don't you, fly. Would you not be terrified? Uh, you know, I have to say, I, I, I try to not fly because yeah. it's bad for the climate. But I but I have to say, for me, looking, we've had two very close calls in the aviation sector in the last month, the one in Japan uh, the collision there. Went to fire. Yeah, yeah. And, and now this one. And in both cases, what's really struck me is how calm the, the staff and the pilots have been, how well it's been dealt with, how the fact there's been no fatalities. And and I think what we all can learn from is how the aviation sector deals with these kind of disasters in that they they are very transparent, they are very quick to respond, and they are very quick to learn lessons from it. And I'm sure we could look, every sector could benefit. And of course, the statistics of, of, of injury is death are very, very low. Mm-hmm. Peter, let's let's go to the front page of the Business Post. Um, 
the last pay agreement for the public sector, some 400,000 people, 22 billion of public sector pay, uh, expired. And it seems like normally they have, and now we have a new deal in place, they don't have a new deal in place. And the story is that in an election year, we could have public sector strikes. This has happened a lot in the UK. You've had nurses and doctors going on strike, really pivotal teachers going on strike. What's your read of this story? Yeah, I think there's some serious sabre rattling going on here from the trade unions in relation to this. Yeah, as you say, building momentum was the last industrial agreement that was in place. That came to an end on the 31st of December. So something has to replace that. And this, the, the unions are getting in early, I think. Uh, they're, they're supposedly meeting with the, the relevant minister, who's the Minister for Public Expenditure, Pascal Donoghue, later this week. And before that, they're kind of setting out their stall Obviously, we know inflation is at 3% per annum. That has affected public sector workers and all workers. Mm. Uh, But the public sector workers are obviously more strongly represented by trade unions. Uh, And I notice Kevin Callanan, who's the General Secretary of Forza, has come out quite strongly in relation to this and has talked about the fact that public service workers are not happy. Uh, They're also also arguing for other things like, you know, the security of their future, the fear of technology coming down the line. Uh, Ivan is another factor. But you know, at the end of the day, it all comes down to pay and they want a better deal. And Pascal Donoghue, I think, is the man to get that across the line. He's being very cautious. He's saying, you know, we'll, we'll sit down and we'll meet, but he's not giving any commitments. Uh, and, you know, Pascal potentially might be off the stage later this year, etc., if he takes the big job. Big That's, IMF yeah, job. Big off to IMF Washington. job, yeah. which would be a huge loss to Fine Gael, I think, in, yeah. in, in yeah. any potential election. So this, this notion of industrial unrest, I mean, the trade unions are going to do what they can to squeeze the best deal they can for their, for their workers. The last thing the government currently needs is industrial unrest as it contemplates a a general election. Uh, And I think from a Fine Gael point of view, they will be loath to go for an election if Pascal Donoghue is off the stage. I think he's a huge electoral asset for that party. Uh, And therefore, so I think there's a lot to play. And I think the Sunday Business Post is spot on to highlight this story here today. Mm. If you look at the last two years, the pay increases have been circa 3%. Inflation has been circa 6%. And they have been quite responsible. But the government's strategy has been we will universally give everyone who has a lecky bill, you know, 200 credit here and there on, on your electricity, on your energy costs. And therefore, you can count that as part of your pay. Is that strategy running out of road? Well, I don't think it was a strategy that ever connected with you, everyone's pay packet. Unfortunately, people don't see them in the same vision. Um, and, you know, we as employers find it even more difficult to try and keep costs to anything like uh, within uh, even the current 3%. I mean, I wish our costs in business were only running at 3% in increase. Doing business in Ireland is... We see uh, all these cafes closing, speaking about huge hiking costs. I mean, energy costs alone. Um, Energy, insurance. Um, There's so so many costs that are, are, are rampant and difficult to deal with. So that's just your your overhead costs, so wage bills on top of that. I've been trying to balance all that, trying to run any business in Ireland these days. You need to be a magician. Uh, will uh, big professors in, in, in uh, UCD be out on the picket line this year? <laughs> I don't know. I'm on contract, so we'll see if I still have a job in the next three years. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that if this goes to strike, it'll be a massive election issue. It'll, it'll far outweigh the, the issues that the independent has raised in terms of immigration and far right. A health health strike could affect everyone, so that's really worrying for me. 
Okay, Larry, um, I, while I have you here, the mm. big story of last year for me was RTE. And uh, I observed things fairly closely and I saw that you and David Harvey came through the Oireachta system of board members. And the idea was that you both came from the commercial sector. What's your take? And then, you know, that, that, that hit a rock on the road, as we know. What's your take on whether the Backhurst plan would work? Because people are saying, look, non-compliance of the licence, 60 million. They're set fair to lose. Leaving aside that, 30 million a year. It's, it's dire. It's urgent. 1,900 staff. I mean, do you think there is a sense of just how difficult, because of the media landscape being transformed, apps, get your news, advertising gone digital. What's your take on it all? Well, my, my, like, I've been very consistent in this, Ivan. I've been saying it for nearly 15 years now at this stage. We have had a lack of any type of policy from any government on the future of broadcasting in Ireland. And it's only now, with, uh, with what's happened with RTE, that we actually have broadcasting in Ireland being discussed at Cabinet. You know, we actually have, you know, one of the stories in the papers today is about uh, gender parity in, in government and in uh, ministerial appointments. Yeah, Neil Smith's called for 50% yeah. of all Cabinet when I'd like to, to see be diversity, male and female. I'd like to see diversity in all shapes and forms, not just in gender diversity. Um, but one of the best performing ministers in the current government is Catherine Martin. And she is, she's brought leadership I into... I call her Catherine Muppet Martin. I think she's useless. Well, she's actually done uh, done fantastic work for uh, the film and television yeah, industry. Yeah, maybe. And, she has been a she, leader she, in she's that. She's been vocal about tourism during COVID and all that. But she hasn't got to grips with the emergency nature. Like, but what the they've done is the, they gave them 56 the problem, million. The, they kicked the can down the road. Exactly. And that's every government has done that. I mean, unless we actually decide, are we going to be a nation that wants to invest in who we are? If, that's, if the answer to that is yes, we need to invest in proper broadcast policy. Broadcasting we costs money. move to the Channel 4 independent publisher model where they don't have this massive payroll, massive overhead. I'd rather and see they... them move to the BBC model where they properly fund public service broadcasting and maybe leave RTE only having public service uh, funding and let the commercial broadcaster actually take its place Do either and of you have really an earn. on RTE? Um, well, I'm a former employee of RTE, Ivan. I worked for nine years in the newsroom a long time ago. Um, so, look, I, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of public service broadcasting. It has to be maintained. I don't like the Channel 4 model. I think, you know, we do need our own funded service. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Michael McGrath gave an interview in the Irish Times yesterday where he seemed to be very much against this notion of direct funding from the Exchequer. He made the point that RTE should not be competing with health and with education uh, and therefore this kind of independent funding model, which was but the licence fee, should be there. Domestic yeah, no, water it's, it's, charges. It's a, yeah, it's a huge I mean, problem. any government saying the revenue are now going to crack down on TV licences not going to be very popular. No, it's not going to be very popular. But I mean, people, I think, know that it has to be paid for. Um, I, I think RTE is, is a hugely important resource. Yes, it needs to be reformed. I mean, I like the noise that's coming from Kevin Backhurst. Can he transform it overnight? I don't think so. I think it's going to take a while. Um, but like, but he needs you know, to know, even Larry's show tonight. I mean, it's very important that people have, you know, something that they can sit down, family can viewing. Can they afford six million on Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> not paying six million, but that's uh, another uh, issue. Look at the, the Channel Four model of independent production, uh, providing you know more value 
to the services is one way of doing it and the independent sector has the capacity to do more. Um, but Channel 4 is in trouble in the UK because Channel 4 is only funded by commercial revenue. And unfortunately, commer- commercial revenue, whether you're a television broadcaster, radio broadcaster or a podcaster, you're all competing now with Facebook, Google and the money is leaving the country into these big tech companies. And if we don't do something about investing in Irish content across all media, and I see Coco are out today looking for tax incentives as well. I think there's an opportunity for Ireland to become a real leader in Europe for non-scripted television production, but it needs some okay. resource. I'm going to leave the final word with you. I mean, it's a green minister we're talking about and so on. Do, do you think the public will dip into their pocket to, to fund I, public just, sector? I, the TV licence fee as a way of raising revenue to me seems so backwards. Having grown up in the States, I remember being shocked when the postman came to my door looking for a TV licence. Uh, I think every sector competes for taxpayer money. Why should the media be any different than the environment, water quality, air quality? We all It's all taxpayer money. We need a di- different system of revenue. I don't know what that system is, but I don't think retaining the TV license is a very effective way of getting revenue from, from people. So finally, we have 30 seconds left. You, your new, new Year's resolution? Uh, I wouldn't call it resolutions, but I just try and clean up my habits so I probably won't have a drink until well, my birthday full, in April. Well, that's a full week's work there, Peter. <laughs> uh, I'm doing my best with dry January at the moment, right. Ivan. So that's, no wonder that's you're my so cranky yeah. this morning. <laughs> Larry? I'm trying to Stay off the biscuits and chocolate. All right. Well, uh, there's a low bar there. All right. My sincere thanks to Cara Gustenberg, Larry Bass and Peter Leonard. The Anton Savage Show. Brought to you by PwC. Sunday mornings from 10. On News Talk.